You are listening to Books Are My People, a bi-weekly podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. This is episode 29. It's going to be a super quick one today. There is a lot going on over here and I got to get moving. So I've had the caffeine and I'm going to be talking quickly and get us to the end. You'll be in and out in, I don't know, 15 minutes or less. That's my goal. We'll see if I can pull it off. I feel like I'm having a little back to the future moment because today is July 30th, but the show won't air until August 10th. So I'm heading out of town for a week and I won't have time when I get back to record. So I'm speaking as my future self from the past. Um, I wonder how my road trip went. Did I read as many books as I brought with me? We are ramping up for the start of school. The kids have to go back in August for the first time in order to make up for some lost days last year due to school being canceled because of the fires. Way back in October, we had to evacuate in the middle of the night, and I can't believe that happened in the last calendar year because it truly feels like a lifetime ago. I'm going to be brief today and get right to the bookish news. Jason Reynolds, the author of so many young adult novels, such as Look Both Ways, Stamped, and When I Was the Greatest, will be publishing his first adult novel. It's called The Mouthless God and Jesus Number Two, and that will be coming out sometime in 2022. He's an amazing writer, and I'm really looking forward to this one. The incredible Colson Whitehead has been awarded the 2020 Library of Congress Prize for American Fiction. He is the author of The Nickel Boys and my favorite book of his, The Underground Railroad, to name a few. I have a ton of book-to-screen news for you today. The fantastic comic book series Paper Girls will be turned into a TV series on Amazon. It's such a fun read set in the 80s about middle school girls with a paper route who end up being in a time-traveling battle of sorts. And Magpie Murders is coming to PBS Masterpiece. This will be a series based off of the novel by Anthony Horowitz. That novel has been sitting on my Kindle for like two years now, and I have yet to read it. I think I just forget it's there, but this piece of news just reminded me, so uh, I will have to open it. I've heard really, really great things about the Magpie Murders. Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me is coming to HBO. I know nothing else about this than what I just told you, but I'm very excited about that. And fans of Comic-Con attended from home this year under the new name Comic-Con at Home. I will put a link to that in the show notes. The event was July 22nd to 26th, but I think you can still access some of the content. I'm not sure, but if that interests you, I will definitely link it up. And here's a plug for a save the date with this virtual Brit Bennett event. In conversation with New York Times writer Carla Hall on August 24th at 6 p.m. through the New York Times Facebook page. I've been keeping track of a lot of virtual author and literary events happening, so you can check them all out on the blog section of my author website at www.jennifercalayeras.com. Now, on to the books. My first pick is my absolute 
favorite pick of the week, and it's called Enter the Aardvark by Jessica Anthony. She is also the author of The Convalescent, which came out in 2009, but I have not read that one yet. This book, Enter the Aardvark, came out, I think, in March of this year. It's a super quick read, just under 200 pages, and it is political satire. This book takes place in Virginia in 2020, where a closeted young Republican congressman, Alexander Payne Wilson, who is obsessed with Ronald Reagan, receives a taxidermied aardvark in the mail one day. He doesn't know who sent it, whether there's maybe a political message behind it, or whether or not it's from an ex-lover. The stuffed aardvark gets him into a bit of trouble when he's arrested for possessing wildlife without a federal permit, and this becomes a scandal and a threat to his career. This book definitely falls under satire, but also under absurdism. The tone of it reminded me of Sudden Death by Alvaro Enrique, which I talked about on episode 12, and also in tone, not in scope, of Voltaire's Candide. Woven into the story of the artwork and the politician is a second thread that explores the taxidermist who made this very stuffed artwork in London during Victorian times. After reading about the author, I learned that she wrote this book while serving as the bridge guard at the bridge of Storovo, which is between Hungary and Slovakia, and I just found that so fascinating. So if you are a fan of absurdist political satire and farce, then this is the book for you. I laughed out loud a lot. It is called Enter the Aardvark, and it's by Jessica Anthony. My next pick is a collection of connected stories called Turbulence by David Salzi. And I'm going to spell his last name for you. I think I'm pronouncing it totally wrong, but the spelling is S-C-A-L-A-Y. I have a completely irrational fear of flying. It doesn't keep me from taking trips. We've flown a lot over the last couple of years, but I really, really, really hate it. So I'm always perversely drawn to things that have to do with flying as a means of, I guess, understanding my fears a little bit more. I'm currently listening to the podcast American Skyjacker. I'm curious, has anyone listened to that one? Um, and as you might guess from the title of this book that I'm going to talk about, Turbulence, these stories are all about passengers. And the titles of the stories are the initials of the airports that they take off and then land at. Each chapter or story thread takes off where the last one left off, but with a different protagonist. They're quite trim chapters or snippets, usually 10 pages or less. And I think this is because the writing project began as a BBC commissioned radio piece. The first story, for example, is about a woman who flies to London, where she is visiting her son who's dying of prostate cancer. She's on her way home to Madrid and gets sick while sitting next to a rich Senegalese man. So the next story follows the man flying back to Senegal. You kind of get the idea. I don't want to give too much of the storylines away because they're so short. But if you feel nostalgic and you're missing time in airports and the hustle and bustle of travel during this quarantine season, then you can pick up Turbulence by David Saleh and get back to air travel. My next pick is written by the amazing Helen Oyeyemi, and it is called Gingerbread, and it came out originally in the spring of 2019. I am a huge fan of fairy tale reinterpolations. I absolutely loved Angela Carter's The Bloody Chamber and other stories, 
and I was inspired in my own short fiction collection, Unruly Creatures, to do a vague retelling of Hansel and Gretel in my story, Stuffed, which was about a boy who finds a dead bird and takes it to the taxidermist's house who lives in the woods. It's a big taxidermy theme today. Anyhow, Helen Oyayemi is a master storyteller, and she is also heavily influenced by fairy tales. Her book, Boy Snow Bird, which came out in, I think it was 2014, is inspired by the Snow White story. And in Gingerbread, the inspiration is clearly Hansel and Gretel, but it's not at all a retelling, rather more of a nod to the Hansel and Gretel fable that most people know. There are whispers, sometimes screams of the fairy tale throughout. Gingerbread is about Harriet Lee, who is a teacher, and her daughter Perdita. They're both headstrong, and they both contain an air of mystery to them. Perdita is a broody teenager who would rather spend time alone than socialize, and Harriet is really gunning to be on the PTA at Perdita's school. So she bakes gingerbread in hopes of winning her way to the PTA's hearts through their stomachs. The gingerbread recipe has been in their family for generations, and she was taught by her own mother, and so on and so on. So the story really begins when Harriet returns home to find her daughter Perdita gravely ill after she's tried to make some gingerbread on her own. Harriet worries that her daughter has tried to commit suicide, but Perdita insists that's not the case. She ate the gingerbread in order to be transported to Druhaustrana, where Harriet is originally from. And in the world of the story, Druhastrana is not necessarily a real place. It's unclear if it's sort of a fantasy land or a concrete place. She tells her mother that she will tell her all about her journey to Druhastrana, but only if her mother shares a story in return about how Harriet and her own mother escape Druhastrana. So a story exchange, if you will. This is a really hard book to try and summarize because things get quite bizarre, but I will promise you it's so well written and compelling. It definitely feels a bit experimental, not in an avant-garde, obnoxious, look how weird I can be way, but in a really fascinating, beautifully written kind of way. I do realize that some people might not have the patience for this, but if you were to try a more surreal type of novel, I would definitely recommend this one because it's so well done. And again, that is by Helen Oyayemi, and it is called Gingerbread. Next up, I have a graphic novel, and it is called This Was Our Pact by Ryan Andrews. This I got for my kids a while ago. They both read it. They both liked it. And in this graphic novel, it is the annual Autumn Equinox Festival, where residents cast lanterns down the river. And Ben and his friends make a pact at this festival that they will follow the lanterns to their destination because they want to know where they end up. They want to know where the lanterns end up down the river. The lanterns are rumored by the townspeople to turn into fish further down the river. So eventually each friend gives up on the mission and goes home, all except for Ben and one other boy. So the other boy is Nathaniel, and he's the only one who stays. He's a star-loving factoid collector who ends up being a bit more adventurous than Ben. He is sort of the bullied kid in the group and definitely not Ben's ideal travel buddy, but under the circumstances, Ben is just happy to have anyone who will stick with him for the journey ahead. 
They are then joined by a third party, of course, a talking bear, who's on its own journey to fish. So soon the trio becomes lost and encounter a series of characters along the way. This isn't the most fast-paced, action-packed kind of book. It's definitely quieter and more reflective. I think fans of Stranger Things will like this book and kids and adults alike who enjoy a contemplative graphic novel. And I would say uh, if you're going to give this to a kid, I think it is good for kids ages maybe 10 to 14. And again, that is This Was Our Pact by Ryan Andrews. My last pick for the week is a new release titled Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. This book takes place in Mexico in 1950, and the main character is Naomi Taboda, who is a wealthy teen socialite. Her father has received a series of mysterious letters from her newlywed cousin, Catalina, and after Catalina's marriage, she and her husband now live at his family mansion, which is at the top of a mountain where it's always chilly and foggy. And if you're picturing the moors from Weathering Heights, that's exactly where you will be taken. So these letters keep arriving and Catalina, the cousin, says that her husband Virgil has been trying to poison her and she's also seeing ghosts at night. Naomi's father is very alarmed by the cousin's letters and volunteers Naomi to travel and go personally check in on her cousin. So Naomi takes off and travels to the house, which is known as High Place. And there are a few servants there. The place is very dark and dank and Virgil's father is especially creepy. Virgil and his family are all very light-skinned Mexicans and it soon comes out that Virgil's father is obsessed with eugenics. There are some strange practices at the house. For example, talking is not allowed during meals. Virgil's family insists that Catalina is simply suffering from tuberculosis, and that is what is causing all of these hallucinations. But Naomi isn't buying it. The family monitors every move she makes, and they won't even let her go into town unaccompanied. And soon the house starts having an effect on Naomi. She starts seeing ghosts and having these very paranormal experiences. The floors are undulating, the walls are speaking to her. We learn about the family's storied past with the working class of the town and how exploitative they were towards the workers. And the novel explores issues of colonialism and family and horror and lots and lots of juicy gothic tropes. This book is unabashedly gothic, just embraces the genre so fiercely and so beautifully. And there are references abound to Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights. If I'm making it sound just super elegant and gothic, I would say the elegance is definitely the backdrop to the horror that comes in during the second half of the novel. So consider yourself warned. And again, that was Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Up next for me is a book that was up next for me a couple weeks ago, but I still haven't read it, and that is Sad Janet by Lucy Rich. I'll be back in 14 days with Julie Christine Johnson here to visit to discuss her novel, The Crows of Bera. All of the books I've talked about today, including Julie's book, can be found at bookshop.org if you go to the Books Are My People store there, and also in the show notes of this podcast. You can link up. And I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week.